0: and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmont Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Scott Sander, the ubiquitous anchor of Channel 8. He's everywhere, and he's everywhere because he works hard and people want him to come everywhere. Very few people in the news business have a better reputation, or I guess they would call it, Q rating than Scott does. Scott, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It, it is an
1: honor. I question your judgment in asking me to, but I do
0: appreciate it. Well, how many times have you interviewed me? So this is my chance. Turnabout's to... fair play. <laughs> yeah, but all my interviews with you, I think, have been on live television. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, we can edit this, right? Right? <laughs> yes. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Thank you so much. I want to try to talk to more local media members, especially someone like you, you know, who's basically homegrown in the state. Yeah. Uh, what do you... I want to start back towards when your career started, but what do you think of the news business, the media business today? Mm. You know, there's always a list of least trusted institutions or whatever, and of course, Congress is there, and sometimes the presidency is there, and the news media is up there. So just in general terms, what, what ails the news industry, if you think anything does, and do you have any prescriptions? Oh, gosh. Uh,
1: brighter minds than I have tried to figure that out and not done very well with it uh, I think what ails us um, a number of things internal and external internally I think that the fracturing of uh, the various media has has left uh, adrift a lot of the um, motivation uh, uh, guidance uh, institutional knowledge that you know when it was a uh, when, you know, when we had the Indianapolis News, the Indianapolis Star, we had, you know, three local uh, news stations, eventually four local news stations, and then you had, you know, three networks, uh, and then you had WIBC had a great uh, newsroom as well. Everybody had pretty clearly defined roles, and, and the motivator was always – and I honestly, at a local level, I still think to this day, the, the, the motivation is I want to serve our viewer, our listener, our reader – Better than they can be served anyplace else, and so and and it's going to sound Pollyanna of me to say this, but I still think on the local level that's true. And and you'll interview uh, if you decide to other other media folks, and they may say, well, I don't, you know, I think this guy does a bad job, or that. By and large, I think Indianapolis is real fortunate. And I, as much as you know, it would be probably in a business perspective beneficial for me to say, oh, I think the guy down the street doesn't do a good job. I think they do. I think I think. I think largely most of the people in local media in central Indiana are, are doing it for the right reasons, and the results that they churn out show that. Do we get things wrong occasionally? Yeah, just like anybody in any business. But I, but when I experience that, for instance, in our newsroom, mm-hmm. there's an immediate desire to try to get it right. Um, now, you go beyond that bubble of local news, and things start to get a little bit wobbly. Um You know, you ask ask for a diagnosis or a prescription, and I'm not really sure I can give you either one, other than to say um, a lot of the criticisms leveled against outlets as they get more toward the national end of the spectrum, I would have 10, 15 years ago have said, no, that's not true. And now maybe it is more frequently true. There there seems to be an imbalance of balance. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of effort to make certain that – and, you know, people use the phrase both sides. It's, very few stories have both sides. They have 20 sides or two sides or 10 sides. or It's different each story. But, but there's, there's less of an interest to illuminate all those sides or at least do the editorial job of figuring out the most important parts of any side and instead serve one side so that you start to hear what you want to hear. And you know, that echo chamber they talk about or the confirmation bias. And I, and I wish we had large national news outlets that did less of that and did more of the difficult task of presenting things in as objective a way as is humanly possible. And it's impossible as a human to only sure. be objective. But if that's always the goal, if you're always striving toward that, then you get closer to it anyway, rather than you just give in and say, well, well, I'm serving the left, or I'm serving the right, or I'm going to try real hard to make it look like I'm serving the left, but actually serve the right. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, do you get the sense that that's as much a business decision as a, as a media Purity decision? I would presume so,
1: but having never been in those boardrooms or newsrooms, I don't know so. Um, in, in conversations, people will say, well, you know, clearly look at this, even on the local level, look at this story. That's a clear uh, example of, of, say, liberal bias. You covered this protest or whatever. And my answer to that is, well, the nature of conservatism is tends to be the status quo is either an acceptable position or or even a reversion to an earlier is is a pr- preferred result and people rarely demonstrate loudly keep it as it is mm-hmm. keep it at you know right. the 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 protest by its nature is a request for change and so if you then cover the protest you are covering what is likely the the opposite of that so if by covering it, you think, well, that shows that you're liberal. No, that shows that's what the news is today. If, if 100 people gather on the steps of the Soldiers and Sailors Monument and they say anything in unison on any given day, that's likely to be at least worth checking out to see what it is. And then if it's 1,000 people or 10,000 people, then it, then it grows and it grows and it grows. So there is, a, there is the natural tendency to have more stories that would come from a position of I want change – then there are stories of I want things to stay the same. And so in that way, there may be, you know, if you have to put things on a left-right, you know, continuum, more left news might make it in any given time because the left tends to push for change more than
0: the right does, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, I'm not going to sit here as a a Republican and say I don't think that the media isn't bent to the left. Hmm. I do. I don't know that I've had any experiences where I personally have had clients get lit up or, you know, I was communications director for Mike Pence campaign mm-hmm. during Rifra. Mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't, I haven't experienced that too much, but what I have to tell myself though, when I feel that way is why did they cover this or it? And most of the time it's either personality based or event based, And so, you know, if you have, I mean, you can say it's Donald Trump, you can come up with others who have this outsized personality. Well, you know, of course, anyone yelling and screaming on the street corner is going to get some sort of notice. And if a guy's just sitting there in a lotus position reading the Bible, you're probably not going to notice. And when it comes to events, I think that the left does tend to be more active in the public protest realm. And so I wouldn't, I would agree with you on that. You know, we're looking, as I tell my clients, they're looking for something to cover, Mm. Give them something to cover, Correct. and and we're great. Probably isn't going to make the cut. So what do you got? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair, and and I think you know, um,
1: it would be foolish to say that you ha- can build large newsrooms full of people who manage their opinions so well that they're and that, that, that they're, you know, inscrutable that you can't figure anything out. Mm-hmm. I, I try really hard. I I think I do a fairly good job of it. But at the very least, then you have to recognize where your internal biases are, and continually work against that yourself. But also, you know there there are uh, there are reporters who are now, and <laughs> this is another big change in media. You look at their social media, and yes. you can figure out where they stand on on things. Yes. So if you then if that's then part of of the world now, then you're kind of duty bound to make sure that you have people who counter that as well.
0: Well, the biggest. I agree with that completely. And social media has been illuminating, especially when it comes to reporters who are no longer reporters. Mm -hmm. And then their social media is like, well, that viewpoint's not a big surprise. We kind of all thought that. Yeah. But let me go back a little bit because it was interesting how my career with Mayor Ballard actually started here in the Channel 8 newsroom because I was working Channel 8 the night that Greg Ballard beat uh, Bart Peterson. Yep. And I remembered what a just gigantic story it was. That was Tuesday night. I was his press secretary for the transition starting Thursday morning Mm -hmm. because Jim Shella and Jim Hester just showed up at county headquarters and decided they're going to interview Greg Ballard and no one told them no, including Greg Ballard. Right. And I'm like, well, how how the hell did they get in? And they're like, (laughs) they just walked in with their camera. And I went, Shella, Yeah. So that was a big story. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working for Mayor Ballard for a couple of years. And I argue to this day the media was very fair to the mayor they treated him as kind of like this oh my god what just happened it was a story it was something new and then once he became mayor then they started to turn the screws to him a little bit and you know i used to always tell him just because you don't disagree with it doesn't mean it's wrong Mm. and you know doing the media wasn't his high on his list right but i think he did it and he got much much better at it but you know, he was a Republican. He's not a super conservative one. But I would never argue that the news media wasn't fair to him because I think they
1: were. Well, and it was interesting to see him walk, uh, work on the job as well. And, and he and I have, I think, as, as much as any reporter can, uh, have a good relationship. Um, the, <laughs> my first interview with him was interesting. It was just sort of an omnibus, let's sit down and talk about the state of the world type of a thing. Well, and, I was a candidate or after he was mayor? After he was mayor. And out of nowhere – unprompted and frankly not well followed up by yours truly he said and I, and I it's been too long now to remember the exact quote but the, the but the summary of it was we need to look at gun laws and and
0: perhaps do something stronger and he's always felt that you get 10 years if you use a gun in commission of a crime that's 10 years minimum yeah and
1: and but but what he said clearly would have been even farther than that and so and I and and I was I can't claim to have been a cub reporter then, but I just didn't hear it as clearly as those back at the station that They said, wait a minute, he said what? And I said, yeah. And they said, that's a story. And I said, yeah, you know, now that you say it, you're right. And I'm really mad I didn't follow up on it. So we did. We aired it, and we said, you know, Mayor Ballard in our conversation with him, you know, implied that it might be time to crack down, uh, you know, further on guns. And that got blowback immediately from those from the party and then, and I, you must not have been part of this, but it was, well, I, I was taken out of context. And which,
0: <laughs> aren't we all?
1: Yeah. So, so, um, which then I kind of took personally because that's the, that's the thing I think I'm, if I'm skilled at anything, most skilled at. And that's keeping things in the proper context mm-hmm. so that people can decide for themselves how they, how they view something. And so then we ended up airing the whole. Segment that of that part of that segment to show that's that was the context. He brought it up without me asking. Yeah, and so there was the little friction there, and I and and then so then the mayor Ballard that I knew six months later would have handled that differently, and then a year later would have handled that differently, and and now would handle it differently well, as well.
0: We had that situation, and I remember getting some grief a little bit. Uh, I think it was two thousand nine. Then city-county counselor Mike Speedy introduced a, uh, an ordinance to allow guns in parks mm. because we had had so many attacks on the Monon. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not a member of the NRA, but I'm like, well, you know, if the criminals are going to take guns on the Monon, why are we going to tell the 25-year-old woman she can't be strapped as she's walking her baby, like that sort of thing. But it was a losing issue politically, mm. and it was a losing issue in terms of PR, and when the mayor came in and we talked about it, I go, you need to say you're going to veto it. You need to be like, well, I don't know if I'm want to go that strong. And I'm like, you will get the best coverage of anything mm-hmm. you're ever going to do. Trust me. If you just say, if it reaches my desk, I'm vetoing it. We got other things to worry about. We'll handle this from a public safety. Mary Mills from Channel 13 was my real only beat reporter from TV. I didn't have any others, which, which I didn't like. I mm-hmm. like having beat reporters. And I said, you should go in that room over there when this news conference is done. Just you and the cameraman, and I'll send the mayor in. And she goes, why would I do that? I said, you should ask him what he thinks about guns and parks. And she goes, okay. And he walked in. He vetoed it. Next day, the Indianapolis Star wrote this most hagiographic hey, editorial. I couldn't believe it. I predicted it, but I couldn't believe it. And the mayor goes, how did you know? And I'm like, it's my job to know. Yeah. But I said, if you want favorable coverage from the media, I go, Be decisive. I thought that Peterson was a decisive mayor in a lot of ways, especially in education. He had a bad six months, obviously towards the end. But reporters seem to cover, and I'm going to ask you this: one of the reasons that make Mitch Daniels such a terrific news story, on and on. Media, correct me, let me phrase it in terms of a question: Do you like the media? Doesn't the media like to cover action? Do you like to cover action? This guy's making bold decisions. Yeah, okay. Now, now he's made bold decisions, and then there's. The blowback from it, you know, or the reaction Is that something that not only Turns you on, so to speak, as a journalist But just the media in general? Can't speak for
1: others um, I, uh, I'm i odd in that I'm conflict Averse um, I, I probably am out of place in what I do because I'd really much rather solve Problems before they hit the air um, So that makes me not the most Aggressive reporter on the beat i am um, I'm, I'm happiest when I see things come to a conclusion that Benefits everybody, and I don't really care whether I had a role in the process. Mm -hmm. So, um, and and I'm sure that's not the answer I'm supposed to give, but that's no, no, no. Because the
0: reason I'm asking is it came up in a podcast interview I did a couple days ago with Todd Houston, the head speaker of the House, and he was talking about Mitch Daniels and Jim Shella was a part of that interview. Yeah, that there was just so much going on. Shell was like it was fun to cover because there was just all this activity. Right. There was all these changes.
1: There, there are there are people who just light up at at all of that. And, and that's been the interesting thing about doing this in my hometown, and, and Todd Houston and I, by the way, have known each other since we were in seventh grade, sixth grade, something like that.
0: And Todd Young?
1: Yeah, and Todd Young. Yeah, uh, Todd Young and I were at uh, at high school at the same time, but it was and what <laughs> we thought it was a giant school then. It's twice as big now, but we managed to never really meet. Uh, first time we had a decent conversation was uh, on a street corner in Washington D.C. right after his <laughs> he was elected. So uh, that was an odd moment. But but anyway, I digress. Um, uh, d- 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 people like Jim Shella. Um, Yes, that's that. That was the fuel for their, and still is, even though he's you not know, technically, you know, full time in the game. He'll never be out of the game um, because I think it is for some sort of that that juice that that mm-hmm. that feeling of oh, I'm, I'm here where things are happening. You know, if if something's going to happen, yes, I want to cover it. But again, and I use that, that word again, it may be Pollyanna, but because I think I I'll do a good job for our our folks if I cover it, but. I've been through enough really good things and enough really bad things that I don't I don't wake up in the morning going oh I hope that something hits
0: the <laughs> fan today. Let's talk about some reporters. Then we're going to dial the the chronology back. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast with Wish TV Channel 8 anchor Scott Sander. We're there. I always thought that Jim Shella and Jack Reinhardt mm-hmm. were the two strongest beat reporters i ever dealt with i think it's fair i remember telling a rather blockheaded public safety director <laughs> uh, you should sit down with jack reinhardt as soon as possible and he goes why would i do that and i said well you do know that the the, the his sources now this is 2010 are the sons and daughters of his sources 40 years ago mm-hmm. so you can learn a lot you know and Jim I always thought was very fair and and fun to work with and he knew it he enjoyed it and he knew everything so you could really stick to your messaging points because you didn't really have to not educating but that's probably the best word mm-hmm. and he'd always call you on your nonsense and right. that always led to really fun interviews
1: tell so. tell me something uh, uh, what you think of this i th- i think uh, and this is going to take you uh, totally astray and i apologize for that but um G- the the thing about Jim is that He understands politics in a way that the majority of us don't, that you do and others in it do, but there is so – and we talk about social media – those of us who check in on it and and feel it's an important part of our lives but don't necessarily participate in it can be very fearful by seeing the conflict between the two sides. Right, And and Jim – could calm me down in his own unique way mm-hmm. by just looking at him and realizing if he's not panicking, then a lot of this is the show and the artifice mm-hmm. that politics, you know, sort of is founded on. That this is some of this is posturing, some of this is, but in the end, everybody still wants to make the budget work, everybody still wants to, you know, f- make sure the streets don't have potholes and things like that. It's just a matter of how we get there.
0: Well, I hear a lot from reporters or media about why don't why don't the parties work together like they used to, and my answer is always whether it's right or wrong. My answer always is: so you want the smoke filled room to return? Mm. You want all these? You want big decisions made in a room with six people? Probably who all
1: look the same who came from the same background? Could be yeah. for sure, and
0: they're not. And they're not having to take public positions on which they must be judged Mm. and publicized. Yeah. So you can have all this transparency and all this public performance. That's fine. But we all know, you know, behavior changes upon being observed, whether you want it to or not, excuse me, or whether you want it to, and so, or do you want, look, six people in a room going, okay, I'll trade you this for this, for this, for this. And then you go, well, we need more open government. Well, you can't, some, a lot of times you can't have it both ways. I mean, you're arguing for a perfect world that doesn't exist. Right. And Jim understood that. Yeah. Jim understood where it's like, hey, you know, I got to do a story on this. And I go, what'd the Democrats say? And he'd say, say this and I'd laugh or whatever. I'm like, okay, so I get my turn. I mean, Jim understood and understands that a lot of it's performance art. But there are some really good, really smart, honest people in government at all levels. And eventually, the hope is those folks get to be the decision makers. Mm. We are extraordinarily lucky to have Todd Houston as the Indiana Speaker of the House. And I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Speaking of reporters here in Indiana or Indianapolis, did you have a few growing up? You ended up uh, graduating from Carmel High School. You were yep. born in Mishawaka but lived in various places but settled here in central Indiana mm-hmm. at a relatively young age. Do you remember watching the news and who you emulated? I, I do.
1: I didn't know until I was almost done with high school that I was even interested in broadcasting. Uh, and I, I wasn't a big news consumer back then. I remember the, the sports, and they were guys. By and mm-hmm. large, sports guys back there. Remember, you know uh, uh, Ed Harding and 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 uh, uh, Ed Sorensen and uh, Chet Copic. Chet, Co- well, Chet. So Chet had gone up to Chicago by the time I was really paying attention. I mean, the legend was still, yeah. you know, very much alive. But um, and the guy
0: before him on Channel Eight was Jim Wilson.
1: Jim Wilson. I know the name well, mm-hmm. but never, but never saw. Um, and so, and so, the, the uh, Jim Barber. I remember, uh, you know. Um, uh, God, I,
0: Mark Patrick, obviously
1: I, Well, I worked for Mark Right Yeah uh, In fact, my first paying gig in broadcasting was for the Mark Patrick on Sports Show on WNDE <laughs> In uh, the summer after 89 or 90 uh, When he had not yet taken the job here at Wish And I thought he was going to be a radio lifer And, um, uh, you know, he... he the, it, back in the day, you would you would call that an internship, but I was still a high school kid, so it wasn't an internship. I just showed up at the door and said, "Hey, do you have anything I can do while sharpen pencils?" I, <laughs> I started getting his his dry cleaning. I, so, so his so his son Drew right was tiny, yeah. and I remember I would go, I got I went to Z Bart to pick up Mark's truck one time. I mean that's the kind of job that I sure. But he would let me uh, prepare the 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 show open, and he would let me uh, prepare some some sports hits for him, and. Uh, then he once let me do it on the air, and I did okay. And and Mark could be tough, but I must have done okay enough at, that he then basically said, "This is what you do from now on." And I would then do six or seven reports every every. I forget if it was a three or four hour show, and it was on. It was unbelievable. Here I am, seventeen years old, doing almost full time radio in Indianapolis, all because of Mark. So yes, Mark.
0: Mark will always be a favorite. Well, <laughs> I know Mark can be tough because I used to referee his son in AU. Oh
1: basketball. gosh, the earful! I imagine you got <laughs> every right. game. Uh, uh, Brian Hammonds is another one who then yeah. went on to the Golf Channel, mm-hmm. and now Brian and I know each other from you know playing golf as old guys.
0: Is, is it hard to be in the hard? It's not the right word, but would it be? Does it seem essential to be in the media and enjoy sports, even if you don't cover sports? Because that is such a huge part of the public's
1: it's – It's part of the fabric of, mm-hmm. of what we do. So, so uh, and, the, and it's interesting that you ask this because um, – so I've been doing morning news for probably 27 or 28 of my 32 years in the business. And so my schedule uh, is wonderful for family and terrible for sports. So I was a baseball guy, a football guy, a basketball guy growing up. I'd watch anything. I can't stay up till nine o'clock at night. I have not seen a <laughs> World Series game to the ninth <laughs> inning in probably ten years. What time do you go to bed? I try to go to bed seven forty-five, eight o'clock, and you wake up at two forty-five. Oh. It's more often eight thirty or nine that I go to bed. So, so what has happened late in life is I've become a massive fan of soccer. Because of the European? Because European soccer is on at 7 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) My favorite side is a German team out of nowhere. I didn't know – my stepfather played for IU when it was mm-hmm. a club sport at IU, so before all the national championships. Sure. But he would take me down to Bloomington and watch a game here and there in the mid-'80s. And I was like, well, this is fun. They just won another national championship. Must be no big deal, right? Right. turns out it's a huge deal down there but uh, and should be. Uh, I just thought it was somehow easy for them. But no, they were just that good. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think about soccer again for you know 25 years until then my son started playing. And I'm like, well, this is, this is not something I know very well. Well, I realize you show up, you sit down, the game never stops, <laughs> everything is a scoring opportunity, uh, there's in- incredibly intricate strategic decision-making that happens on the fly, and as a parent, the best part is, in youth soccer, in 30 minutes, there's a 10-minute halftime, and then there's another 30-minute period, and you go home, and that's it, because, you know, like when he'd play baseball, would be like, we're going to be here for the next hour in 10 minutes, or three and a half hours, we're not really <laughs> sure, and then we'll come back in the afternoon and do it again, so... Uh, so anyway, long long answer to the question that deserved a short answer. Uh, yes, I'm a sports fan, but because of what I do, I've changed dramatically in the kind of sports that I enjoy. Now back to the original question. Yes, I think it's critical. If if so, I didn't grow up a Colts fan. I you know you and I both were we were paying attention to sports long before the Colts got here. Yeah, so right. I was I was Bears fan. Right. So that was tough. And, and so in my heart of hearts, there were times where I was like I. The Colts aren't my number one squad, but it was always my hope that they'd be good enough someday to win a Super Bowl because I want to see my city happy. Right. I've never been more happy watching football than when I got to watch the Colts win the the, the, uh, the Super Bowl because that meant my city was going to be happy. But I wish it hadn't been like negative five the next day and we could have had a proper parade with it. <laughs> and but, who'd they beat? Uh, well, they lost to the Saints and they beat the Bears. That's right. And by then I had sort of edged out of – you know. Being a you know mega Bears fan, but um, yeah, so so yes, I think it's important that you if if you don't like sports, that's fine, but you have to appreciate how they they weave into the fabric of a community, and 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 bring pride, bring embarrassment, bring um, you know shocking moments, bring sorrow, all those things because they're. I mean, charitable
0: these sports charitable. teams are incredibly charitable
1: so 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 they're inc- they're an extremely important part of the fabric so yeah i think if you don't love sports that's fine but you have to have an appreciation for their role
0: you are listening to leaders and legends a podcast presented by veteran strategies a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central indiana garman construction leaders and legends llc the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Wish TV anchor Scott Sander. Shout out to uh, Troop 1887,
1: by the way, Girl Scout dad, proudly, so I'm glad to hear that they're
0: sponsors. I make sure that Danielle Shockey knows that, my sometimes co-host and head of the Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, she's terrific. She's a force. I've had a fortunate to uh, been fortunate to talk to her a few times. Absolutely. That's a great way to describe her. She's mm-hmm. making a hell of a difference <laughs> in that organization. Is there a particular Hoosier leader or legend you admire most?
1: Oh wow. That's a good question. You know, I grew I think we tend to elevate in our minds the people who did what we perceive to be good things at a certain age in our lives. So uh, if you ask me, 50 years from now, I might have a different answer. But I know that I, you know, I, I came of age in the time of Dick Luger and and Bill Hudnut, um, you know, uh, Governor Orr. They all kind of loom large in my head, and I have a sort of a, you know, rough approximation of their their legacy in the state. And so that that sort of that whole era of leader. Um, I've just always kind of known about, and so you know, when I think, well, what were what were the what were the the days when when I most kind of wish we could say, well, there's a person of at least what seemed to be integrity. I didn't. I was a kid. I don't. I don't right. know if Richard Luger was as tremendous a man as he always seemed. I hope that he was. My grandfather was the director of public libraries in Indianapolis, and oh, okay. and and worked with then Mayor Luger, and then. Um, you know, when when he went to Congress, you know, Grandpa was a big, big supporter, and so so I, I always had this feeling that well, that's 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 what you aspire to: public service for the sake of serving the public. And it may sound silly to think that journalism offers that as well, but if you, I think if you do it for pure reasons, you can. Strive toward that You'll never get toward it You'll never have That kind of impact I mean, you're sure. not changing lives But maybe you're making Hopefully lives A little easier Just with the information That
0: you can pass along On a daily basis
1: You started H- Him and razor si- shines So That's
0: <laughs> <laughs> going back to baseball <laughs> uh, Do you Do you have one or two Stories Because I want to ask you About Columbine Yeah Because I know you were there uh, Covering yeah. that story But here in Indianapolis Do you have a couple of stories That, that stand out mm-hmm. For good or Good or ill That's
1: a good question uh, yeah, I, at the risk, and we use a, a sports analogy here, um, at the uh, at, at the risk of punting to something safe. I don't think I understood how important um, the Peyton Manning era was for Indianapolis when I was not living here. So I was out of Denver at the time and actually watched them win two Super Bowls uh, and then came back and, I, I, you know, I wasn't a Tennessee fan, so I wasn't necessarily a Peyton Manning fan. Right. And and it was oh you know and and you know Edgerrin James is fantastic, and we got these great receivers. And I'm like, okay, I come back, and I and then gradually I start to realize, no, this isn't just a good team. This is this is sort of like a transformational era. I, listen, when we were young, Saturday Night Live would use the Indianapolis Colts as a punchline, <laughs> right? And Lord, then
0: Lord help our Colts.
1: Yeah. Oh God, Duke Tomato. Come on. <laughs> And and so, and so to see and to be here for the payoff of that era and then to see what the city d- used did the, to, to launch even farther beyond that. Um, and, and, and one can argue about whether the decisions that the city makes are good or not good about how aggressively we court sports, the, the resources we put toward that. That's not for me to say. But it's been fascinating to see how the impact th- three or four people can have on an entire city
0: by winning some big games at the right times. You mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about being involved in the community. Mm-hmm. So many media members are hyper-involved in the community. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is in hosting events or leading their Lending their credibility. I think you did the Living Legends induction Mm -hmm. one year. Was that the year Mitch Daniels got in? I've been doing it now, I think, for eight or ten years. Yeah, that's a terrific – I've been there three or four times. It's a terrific event. Yeah. How important is it to embed yourself as a member of the media Mm -hmm. to the community you cover in ways like we just described or others? I don't know. That's an interesting word, embed – um, I think it
1: may been, it may imply um, uh, a thoughtful uh, thoughtfulness that I can't uh, claim. I, I have been very fortunate to be asked to be do, to, to do things, to, to whether it be a master ceremonies or or coverage or whatever, um, and I've found it tremendously gratifying to be part of that. Um, but but um, <laughs> you know, I, I actually. I guess I take more pride, for lack of a better term, than, for for instance, being involved in something that my kids drew me into, like the Girl Scouts, Mm -hmm. or whatnot. So I, 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 again, and go back to, I don't think I'm a very good reporter, um, because I don't hunger for that controversial moment that becomes a career-defining story. Mm -hmm. Um, But when the historical society says, we have some folks that we'd like to honor, and we think that you'd be, you'd find the right tone to do that, or, uh, the Indianapolis Fire Department says we want to recognize the people that we consider heroes, and we think you'd find the right tone for that. Um, or uh, for a long time, the Red Cross uh, had their Hall of Fame awards, and mm-hmm. um, I, I I don't know whether it's been valuable to me, but I never really a- approached it from that. I'm just I'm just it's it's humbling, and I'm very honored that they think that I do a decent job of that.
0: Do you? I don't know how many TV interviews I've done. Hundreds, I guess. But that pales in comparison to how many times you've been on TV, thousands upon thousands. Yeah. Do you ever get nervous? No. I get nervous still, even if even if I know the interview is going to be about something that's like ninety nine percent positive. I'm still like, don't I get, screw up, don't screw up. I get
1: nervous when I and I always want to do a good job, but I get nervous when I when I feel like I have so many things. That I want people to know about this person, but I only have three minutes to get it out of them. So, I I, wouldn't—I would no more be nervous if President Biden sat down in that chair than if my son sat down in that chair. That just doesn't bother me at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's useful too because I'm also not sort of cowed by celebrity or anything. Congratulations that your life's working out well, but (laughs) it's not—it's not something that I'm overly, you know.
0: Uh, Patty always, Patty Spittler always handled those interviews well.
1: Yeah, she oh she loved that kind of mm-hmm. stuff because she she could operate in complete confidence. You know, um, so so um, what I get nervous about is ah, I'm trying to think of a good uh, good example. Okay, um, well take an IndyCar car driver. IndyCar car mm-hmm. is sort of my I, it's one of my vices. I just mm-hmm. and and I try to be really open about that because it's so important to me that people know that I'm trying really hard to be objective. I'm really open about how big an open wheel car fan, uh, uh, open mm-hmm. wheel racing fan I am, because then when it's time to cover that story, that, that I can be open with them and tell basically, sure. listen, I I come from a perspective on this, so you may need to look to others for all for other you know perspectives on it. So, um, if if I have uh, okay, Will Power won the championship last last season, um, or, or uh, Marcus Erickson, the 500 winner. And I've only gotten on TV for three minutes. I'm so hopped up on information <laughs> about them. Like I, I, you know, I know what hospital they were born in. I have to figure out. Okay, but but what does the viewer who's brushing his teeth and trying to get his daughter's hair in p- ponytails? What does he, he want to hear in the three minutes? What's the most useful uh, three minutes that that makes me nervous? So I, I I get very nervous when I know so much about something that I get excited about it and I, and I and I want to do a really good
0: job. Um, and how do you, how do you strike the balance between being moderately self-congratulatory and moderately self-critical? Tell me more about what you mean about self-congratulatory. I did a great job. I broke the story. You know, hey, it's an exclusive for Channel 8. They're not going anywhere else. Hey, I've got – my name's Scott Sander and, Sander, and I have 10 Emmys, which, by the way, he does have 10 Emmys, which are, I think, in the closet. Attic. Attic. Yeah. So – you know, everyone gets pumped up about the job they do, but at the same time, in the public eye, which yeah. you are by definition, you know, you as you say, there's some pressure to get things right. And when they are not right, then some, you know, self flagellation comes aboard. So not you have, some, a lot. Yeah. So you have to balance that, and I'm just wondering, you know, even in your anchor position, sure. How do you do that?
1: Poorly. No, I'm I'm the kind who immediately regrets a small error and will dwell on it the entire month. Um which may be useful as well, because I think I think people that take um, the dissemination of information seriously also take the responsibility of doing it properly seriously, and that probably tends then to draw in the kind of person who wants to get it really right. Um, I uh, I probably could use congratulating myself a little bit more. I'm terribly uncomfortable with it because I don't necessarily think that I haven't done that I've done anything that a hundred other people didn't do before me and a thousand will do better once i leave so um i will say this and it's interesting because because people who who've never been in in newsroom will presume that a lot of the decisions that i make are driven by a fear of what my boss wants or a fear of getting in trouble in a courtroom or and sometimes even people that i work with they'll say well you know, I know you don't want to say that because it could get you sued. I'm like, no, I don't want to say that because it's not the correct thing to say. Mm-hmm. And I've been incredibly blessed in my life to work for bosses who have never told me what to say. We'll get together and put a message together and say, mm-hmm. well, this is the information we want to give, and this is how we think we ought to do it. But I've never once had, if I said, I'm, I don't believe this to be true, or I'm uncomfortable saying this, I don't think I'm the right person to be saying this. Mm-hmm. I've never had a boss yet who has said, Don't care, say it anyway, but a lot of people in our industry have had that moment um, so um yeah that's I think that's that's the best thing that's happened to me is to have the freedom to make decisions and live by them and not be motivated about you know by well i don't want you to I don't want to get in trouble I don't care about getting in trouble. I just care about getting the thing right.
0: Do you have reporters who you either admired as you were? getting started in the business or even today when you look at a i mean a, i don't know what to say like a bob donaldson who from mm-hmm. 59 and 4 who's been here forever you know like everybody seemed to have admired mike ahern mm-hmm. when he when he was here and yeah. Clyde Lee and dion willis are coming mm-hmm. on the podcast here in a few good. months good and but were there people who you just said man they get it right you know i think it's the people who tended to reflect whatever they were saying away
1: from themselves um for me the acid test is and it's I feel like I can tell instantly whether somebody is on TV because they want to be on TV or if they're on TV because they think they have a useful way of communicating important information. And from Howard Caldwell through Clyde and and Dion and uh, Tom Cochran who hired me and, uh, you know, all the names that you've mentioned really, truly so far, including uh, Jim and Jack and...
0: um, what about, the, let me ask you to give him another name because he was one of my very first podcast yeah. guests. And he's just so – I hate to say the word lovable, but that's the word I'm going to use. David Barris.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, the funny thing about Dave is Dave Dave looks like this all must be shtick, but it's not. it's That's actually who the man is. So um, you can tell a lot about somebody when their guard is down and the, and the lights are off and they're not wearing their makeup. and And Dave's exactly – Like Dave is. Uh, Dave's – my connection to Dave has been interesting. I think he put it that way Mm -hmm. as well Um, because he did the Daybreak Show for, I don't know, 20 years before I assumed the role. And now I've been doing it for 16 or 17 years. So for the last couple of generations, (laughs) sorry if you've been watching Wish TV in the mornings. You picked me or Dave. But there was that, you know, Dave had, a, Dave had a lot of career left when they made that change. And I don't think they ever, and this is several administrations ago, um, ever really explained to either of us why they made that change. I, I tell myself, hopefully things worked well for Dave. Dave's got a tremendous family, and maybe he got to spend some more time with them. But I never talked to him about it. And I, I know Dave wishes me well, but it, I'm also doing the thing that he did. A little better than I do it, mm. and so that I'm guessing is tough too, but but Dave was never anything but supportive the, the day that we sort of made the change on on air, which was horribly awkward wait um,
0: <laughs> da- wait a second, was it Jane Polly deborah Norville awkward
1: n- n- no uh, hug uh oh oh we 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 did not hug we should have hugged no, but he gave me a mustache. He gave me a fake mustache to put on and basically said, listen, if this gets tough, just put this on, you know? And that's when I knew no matter how weird this is for both of us, uh,
0: he's a good dude. Absolutely. Yeah. We were talking about stories here in Indianapolis and we have a few minutes left with Wish TV morning anchor Scott Sander. Let's let's talk about a story you covered in Denver. Mm -hmm. It was the Columbine High School massacre. That was about 30 years ago was
1: that uh it was april 20th of uh 1999 so a little
0: more than 20 years ago yeah and i'd have to really kind of or 21st
1: search, 20th 21st i've forgotten
0: search my memory but i mean I, re- I remember the names and i know you do of the two yeah. uh, murderers and Harris. yeah what was that day like for you mm-hmm. and, and and obviously it was not just a one day story but right You know, it happens every so often that the eyes of the entire country settle on one particular place because of an event, as we were talking earlier. Just take us through a little bit of your memories of that coverage and event.
1: So it was a day off for me, uh, and I had uh, actually been out playing golf, uh, which, you know, in contrast to what was happening a few miles away, just, I don't know, seems almost obscene, but... You know, it was a day away, and and um, I went in after nine holes to you know, get a soda. And I looked up, and they had our station on. It was uh, Channel 4, the CBS station in Denver. Uh, and they had us on, but it was 1235 or whatever it was. And I said, well, we're not still on the air. What are we on the air for? And I look up, and, uh, and it's Rick Salinger, who uh, is – you want to talk about great reporters. Mm-hmm. Rick worked here in Indianapolis for a number of years, and he's been out in Denver for, for far more than that. And he's just a, he's just a tremendous reporter. Uh, and he was not typically an anchor. And I look up and he's on our anchor desk. And I'm, What the heck is going on? So I call into the station from the phone at the pro shop and I get our brand new news director. Oh. Like that week is my memory. Maybe it was two weeks. but And, uh, and, and I said, this is Scott. Thinking, well, everyone knows who Scott is. <laughs> What's going on and do you need help? And she says, well, this hi, this is Scott. This is, this is Angie, the news director. Who are you? I said, I'm your morning anchor. <laughs> and, and what's going on? And, and she says, well, we think there's been some gunfire at Columbine High School. Uh, and, she, and I hear her say to our assistant news director, do we need people to come in? And the assistant news director goes, yes. And I said, okay. And I heard that. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll change and come in. And so in the 15 minutes between when I hung up the phone, got home, got dressed, and got back in the car – um, there was a station that was a lot like the old WIBC in a huge newsroom in Denver, and, and I turned it on, and it sounded like a war zone. I mean, it was, it was uh, clearly massive news. Uh, and so that was – I, I kind of drove I, – I, d- I decided to drive straight to Columbine once I realized what was going on because I knew there wasn't going to be – driving all the way into downtown, I was on the south side, and that was sort of southwest. Mm-hmm. Driving all the way downtown wasn't going to do any good, so I, I drove straight to Columbine. And, uh, yeah, and by the time I got there, I mean, I, you know, you, I, I was 10 years into a career then, and I thought, well, I've seen everything. No, no, you haven't seen anything. It, it, take every emergency vehicle that you can imagine in your community and then realize, oh, there's 10 other communities here as well with every bit of their emergency gear. Right. Um, we already had... We already had reporters on every live truck that we could use, and back then there were no – none of these cell backpacks or things like that. Sure. So if you didn't have a live truck, you weren't going live. And I didn't really have a place to, to help out, so I just kind of jumped in and I started writing and I started um, finding interview subjects and things like that, bringing them over to our to our uh, reporters and whatnot. And uh, and I, what I remember is, is for the first time seeing a deep humanity in some of the reporters that I worked with that – uh, we always sort of insulate ourselves against and that you know the 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 most hardened hard news reporter that I've ever met broke down in tears trying
0: to cover the story because because she, she's a mom you know yeah how do you handle the the, the parade of parents coming to the school to find out um, if, if their if their son or daughter or sons or daughters are still alive you don't handle it you just
1: you, you you hopefully react like a human being i'll never forget so dave sanders was the teacher who was killed sander sanders, sanders mm-hmm. you know there's a commonality of the name there um daughter angela sanders my sister is angela was sander mm-hmm. now major but um so again there was and and she came up to me very early on and said, have you heard anything about who's still in there? Because my dad, I haven't heard anything from my dad. And I said, I, ha- I haven't heard anything. Um, if, I, if, if I see you and I've heard something, I'll find you. And and then I didn't see her again. And then I found out my wife, who was working in the uh, competing newsroom at the time, mm-hmm. had gotten a call from Angela Sanders. And it no, stuck in her brain because... Your sister-in-law is Angela Sander. Right. And she goes, I got this call from Angela Sanders, you know, about her dad. Her dad apparently is a teacher. You know, we still didn't know that, that he would passed. So we're talking about this thing. I said, I met her, too. I mean, of all the thousands of people around here, you know, we both met her. Isn't that interesting? And then when the names came out, it was like Dave Sanders. And I'm like, I mean, I, w- I wish I could compartmentalize better the emotions from the job. And some are really good about that. And I'm really bad about that.
0: But if you had known her father was one of the victims, right. would you have told her?
1: Boy, that's a great question. And I couldn't answer. And I don't know if my answer would have changed in the last, you know,
0: twenty three years or whatever it is. Um in, in covering something like that. Yeah. How do you decide as a reporter or a, a media organization? Right. Too much.
1: Yeah, that's another thing that that I wish I was a little more ruthless about, um, because there are reporters who know instinctively and instinctually, it's more important that this come out than I feel good about it. Um, And while doing news in your hometown... Uh, gives you tremendous resources You know I, I I could call up the speaker right now mm-hmm. And we'd spend 30 seconds reminiscing And then we could talk And that's that's valuable to me Right It may be valuable to him too I don't know But This is still my te- my, my, my sister lives here And my aunt lives here And my mm-hmm. family lives here And um, you know my, my stepdad lives here And my You know My mom passed here And And, and so There are times where I bet And I couldn't Specifically lay one out But I bet there have been times where I'm like I don't, I don't want to hurt people right now mm. And if I tell them this, it'll hurt people
0: And if you had a chance if, if Todd Houston says I'd like to be on Channel 8's Daybreak Would you interview him or would you say No, nah, I'm a little too close So I and This, <laughs> this, has,
1: been a, this has been a point of uh, Conversation in the past <laughs> uh, For instance, I served on the Indianapolis Public Library Foundation board For several years um, my grandpa started the foundation. Uh, I spoke at an event, and they said, "Hey, would you like to be associated with?" And I said, I, I, "I'd love to." I, you know, I I need you to understand there are things I can and can't do because of that. I'll need my boss to understand what I'm about to do, and we got it together, and it worked. But then any time there was a library story, I would beg out of it, which is inconvenient for the producers because they're just trying to put the show on the air, sure. and it's time for me to read. And I'm like, you know, guys, can we have you know Kylie or Drew do this because. I helped with this
0: decision, right? Well, because I did the PR for the search that ended up with uh, Jackie Nitas. Yes,
1: yeah, okay, good. So, so director CEO mm-hmm. Nitas at the time, and and so she and I would have conversations, and I would, always, and she was always great. But she always knew any conversation with me was on the record unless we talked about it being off the record. Mm-hmm. But um, I am very upfront about potential conflicts of interest to the point that I've probably on the air said things awkwardly because I wanted <laughs> people to know you know the thing the thing about the the speaker and i it, it is it's been so long since we've done run any running around that we're, our lives don't overlap socially anymore mm-hmm. but if they did you bet i'd be i would be the kind who would say hey as we start this conversation always want the viewer to know you know the speaker and i have known each other for a long time and you know
0: And so the next time I'm interviewed on Daybreak, will you mention you came on the Leaders and Legends podcast?
1: Well, that's just good business for you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I hope. (laughs) We've reached the point in the Leaders and Legends podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. And I have one question I'm going to ask you. I've never asked anyone else. Oh, gosh. But before that, I just reread my notes. I wanted to ask you very quickly. Technology. Yes how much has that changed your world as a member of the media and in the 30 plus years you've been in this business? Tremendously. Um,
1: it has made more information immediately available. It has made it more difficult to figure out if that information is accurate. Um, it, it has opened up social pathways that, um, I think expose, a, a journalist in particular to dangers that they don't even realize. Um, you know, if we maintain a social media presence with our friends and family because they're our friends and family, then do we reveal things about ourselves that we've spent our whole career saying it's important that I not have mm-hmm. an opinion on this? And so uh, I, I think access to information is awesome, mm-hmm. but the ability, the, the ability to understand whether the information is legitimate or not is – I don't think that skill has developed as quickly as the ability to, to surf and Google and, and whatnot, and so I, it 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 frightens me because because fairly frequently there'll be that moment where you're like oh hang on just because this was on Wikipedia doesn't mean it's necessarily <laughs> right it may very well be right but let's go ahead and do the old school mm-hmm. stuff and find a couple of other sources of information and make sure it's right so I'm you know I'm sort of the the slow roller with all of that uh, which hopefully is still a valuable thing but I, you'll as 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 many problems as it uh, as it enables i i I will never be one to argue that people should have less access to information whether i'm whether I'm involved sure. in the process or not
0: sure we'll get to the five questions I should have studied <laughs> uh, well these are a lot easier than the questions you've asked me in the past <laughs> okay Number one, what was your first job? Uh, my first job
1: was working for Mark Patrick on WN that was your first that was my first job now my but I but I ought to tell you the second job because that didn't pay well I was also and this is not uh this I this is not sexist to say mm-hmm. this the job was called supermarket display lady that was the company mm-hmm. founded in the classified ads probably in the star because we took the morning news mm-hmm. and it was going to Marsh and Kroger with a uh, uh, card table and a knife to sell Braeburn apples or Hostess. Uh, really? Yeah, uh, Chocolicious. Uh, sun chips. Uh, I was one of the first display ladies for sun chips. <laughs> so if you walked around, say, the 96th Street Marsh uh, or the uh, 116th Street Marsh or the West Side Kroger anytime in summer of 89 or 90, I very likely handed you a Braeburn apple.
0: <laughs> Those are the expensive ones. Yes, they, they are. <laughs> Number. Two, what was your first concert? First concert. That you paid for. I'd rather just say my first concert.
1: Is that okay? Sure. Because it's a good story. Do you remember when the Pacers were having such a tough time drawing that they would have, that the Pacers would be the opening act for a concert? I saw Mm. B.B. King and Lucille Lucille. Mm -hmm. do their thing after a Pacer game at Market Square Arena, early 80s, I couldn't tell you the year. But that was, I mean, you want... (laughs) It's hard to it's hard to follow up with a better concert than that. So yes, when the Pacers opened for BB King, that was my first concert. First one I paid for was probably the Genesis Invisible Touch Tour at the Hoosier Dome.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to have seen Genesis. I was in the army when that came through. But yeah. What a band.
1: Yeah. And the and the light show and oh, I mean yeah. it was it was a spectacle. You know, mate, you know, a little synthesizer heavy now when you look back on it, and you're like, didn't age great. The seventies Genesis stuff is fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. But uh but anyway,
0: yeah. So that's probably the first one I paid for. Number three, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose? All right. I'll try to avoid the obvious.
1: Uh, What book would I suggest people read? Historical Baseball Almanac by Bill James.
0: Number four, I used to read that all the time when I was a kid. I know.
1: I, I haven't really even followed the game much lately, but I still read the almanacs.
0: Number four, if you could witness any event in history be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose? We which can, event in history? Yeah. Gosh, you could get yourself into so much trouble
1: by diving into this. I, I, so I know enough people of deep faith and enough people of deep skepticism that I think what I do – would be useful in figuring out which stories of the Bible mm-hmm. happened the way that they are now presented in the King James Version. I would like to have been an original witness to some of those so I could come back and say, well, either through translation mm-hmm. or through misreporting or whatever, this didn't happen this way, or, yeah, no, that's right, that's exactly. So I'd, I'd love to be able to help all of my friends figure out a little closer to the source on that stuff.
0: And that's a great answer, and we get, we get a lot of – Sermon on the Mm Mount, resurrection, crucifixion sort of answers. So that that sums them up very well. Uh, Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone living today, Mm. living today, two hours off the record, talk about anything you want, whom (sighs) would you choose? I should have studied for this. You don't give me time to think when I'm on the set. No,
1: that's true. I expect answers right away because we've got a commercial break coming up. (laughs) Any living person. See, that's the rub, and that's why it's a great question. Um, Living person. Man. 38 names are running through my head right now. Everybody from Volodymyr Zelensky to... Whitey Herzog to <laughs> uh, any living person that I could spend a couple of hours with um, I will say see you've got me in a, in a sort of like a news frame of mind but that's not where I usually reside I'm, I'm, I'm trying to knock all these sports names back as they jump into my head
0: who's the coach of your favorite German soccer team
1: well, okay, so so right now, uh, it's the, I wouldn't pick him. Okay, Jurgen Klopp, who's currently the, the coach of Liverpool and coached Dortmund for years and years and years. That's a great answer, Robert. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're going to go with Jurgen Klopp. He was uh, he was an early proponent of the Gaginpressa, which is uh, sort of a high-pressing style where your forwards uh, come up on the defensive back line and the, and the keeper as hard as they can to force turnovers – but also to be ready when they turn the ball over to immediately press back and try to catch the defense as it's turning into the offense and has that moment of uncertainty of what to do with the ball. Oh, I have the ball now. What do I do with it? That, Klopp would say, is the most dangerous moment for the defense now offense. And so that's when you want to press the hardest. Thank you, Jurgen
0: Klopp. That's who I'd like to spend two hours with. (laughs) Last question, a sixth question, which has only been asked of... Mr. Scott Sander. Oh gosh, how important is it to have such phenomenal hair <laughs> when you're on TV every day?
1: I, I, I honestly have never really given it a moment's thought, but I've had enough people
0: give me guff about it that I guess like can, Roger Harvey or Chris Gall I, and well, all these other hair, hair helmet people. So. <laughs> We've got to have a society. You should. So I
1: saw Gall in uh, in Dick's the other day. And, you know, we know each other because we, you know, I, I report on the things that he works on for sure. the city. And we've never said this before, but I do have to assume that there is a, a – somewhere in the thought process, he, he also has a lot of hair <laughs> from both of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mine's nowhere near
0: as spectacular as Chris's. But it's still somehow fairly full, so it's magnificent, <laughs> if I may say. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today has been 10-time Emmy Award-winning journalist, Scott Sander. It was a lot of fun. It was interesting to be on this side of the interview. Yeah, it was a little intimidating to be on this side. You could say you were nervous. I asked if you were nervous earlier. That is true.
1: I, I, I was as nervous to do this as anything I can remember <laughs> in the last many years, <laughs> for sure. Thank you
0: very much, it's Scott. It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com.